0: Welcome to Open Hands, a podcast exploring spirituality, mental health, and the space in between. I'm your host and fellow wanderer, Sarah Nickerson. This week, our guest is Hannah. Hannah is currently in graduate school to become a clinical therapist, while also diving into her work as an animal communicator and energy worker. Hannah communicates telepathically and energetically with animals and humans both on earth and in spirit, and works as a bridge to interpret information and subtle energies. Born and raised in the Midwest within the United Methodist tradition, Hannah has often encountered mystical and spiritual experiences with curiosity and confusion. She now works to liberate herself and others, and even their animals, from oppressive cycles of shame and anxiety while also facilitating spaces for all beings to step into their intuitive bodies with love, confidence, and embodiment. With firmness and with flexibility, Hannah honors her religious upbringing and family while also holding the tension of religious trauma and new age spiritual bypassing. She seeks and affirms honest, grounded, embodied, and active spiritual and religious spaces for her to work with kindness and with justice for all beings. We're so happy to have her on today. Okay, so Hannah, welcome to Open Hands. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thank you. I'm really excited to chat with you today.
0: Yay. Um, okay, so tell me a little bit about what you do um, in your life and and what feels important in, in the work that you do. Mm.
1: Um, well, first and foremost, um, I am currently a graduate student. Um, so, <laughs> and you know, you know the clinical therapy grad student life well, I'm sure.
0: Yes. yes. Uh, yeah.
1: um, so I, yeah, I'm I'm in this really interesting program, and um, it is through a seminary. So that that kind of ties to a big part of my background, which was being raised in the United Methodist Church. Um, yeah, yeah. Both of my parents are ordained pastors.
0: Wow.
1: And um, yeah i I grew up as a PK or PK squared. Um, yes, yes, yes. And we moved, you know, a fair amount. That's that's pretty common in the United Methodist world. Um, and I, I really do feel in reflecting on my upbringing that I was raised by, by the church kind of big C, but then also the culture of the United Methodist Church in the Midwest. Um, yeah. And I, that just is a huge part of kind of how I, I came back to this part of myself in terms of animal communication, which is what I'm Mm. um, more intensely integrating into my work. So I'm at this seminary, um, and I'm also at another institution that it's partnered with to get the clinical, um, psychotherapy side of things. Um, so we're really integrating like spiritual awareness, um, religious deconstruction and reconstruction and mental health services, uh, into this really, this feels very holistic to me, um, and very interfaith kind of experience. Um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. I, I remind myself to take a step back and think about what I'm doing when I'm feeling a little bogged down because it's pretty intense and pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So many intersections there um, between faith and mental health and deconstruction and reconstruction and then bringing in um, some of the work that you do with animals. What has it been like for you to bring all of those things together over the years it's been a
1: um, oh, man. I feel emotional about it. It, I, it does feel like a homecoming, um, and it also feels really isolating. Yeah, um, and I've I've been talking about that more and more with my wife and close friends. Of
0: yeah,
1: yeah what it means to be in my. In my callings as they intersect um, mm. without being focused on the label um, mm. or what I'll, you know, like what what business I'll stamp myself with at the end of my life, because I don't think that's ever been um, who I am. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's been, yeah, it's been isolating and it's been incredibly joyful. And there's also a lot of peace intermingled with all of that. Um but the the animal communication side of things has been such a a breath of that's where I feel like the biggest homecoming has has stepped in.
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah,
1: the animals bring me back. Like they just they bring me back to center. They're very humbling. Um, yeah, and that kind of telepathic communication is just such a gift. So I'm I'm glad that I didn't listen to my fear many years ago and allowed yeah. myself to keep going.
0: Yeah. Was that something... So was it something that you had even from when you were small? Is it something you discovered later in life?
1: I've done a lot of thinking on this and I I definitely had a lot of experiences um, with spirits of various kinds um, as a young kid and animals as well. Um, It's hard to, to imagine what exactly I was experiencing, especially when I was not fully verbal. So I feel like I... I try to remember things, but of course I'm like an abstract thinker and everything about my development is so different now. Yeah. Um, but I I had very deep connections with animals and definitely felt there were a f- several memories where I, I definitely know there were breakthrough conversations and very big things happening. Um, mm. and I really struggled in zoos. Like I think a lot of children do maybe more so now. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, there was a, there was a very big connection, Um, and I really fought against all of my intuitive, um, senses in high school Mm. and college really, really intensely. Um, Mm. and it led to a little bit of a mental breakdown in college. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I, it's been reclaimed and I keep having to remind myself to reclaim it more deeply now in my like later twenties, but, um, I do think elements of it were always there.
0: Yeah. What What made it difficult to embrace those parts of yourself um, in your your adolescence and teenage years? I think it was um,
1: a, a couple a couple of big traumas that happened in my life, um, physical and, mm-hmm. and emotional, but also yeah. the very deeply embedded belief systems that I was too much. Um, And that what I was experiencing or expressing was dramatic or unnecessary um, or Mm. even like unreasonable. Um, Mm. And I think that was, I was getting that feedback, you know, just kind of everywhere, just like as a sensitive person in the world. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then
1: also in the church and then also in school and also in music, which I was heavily involved in. So even though all of those spaces were very safe pockets, I definitely was getting some sort of feedback spoken or unspoken that parts of me were inherently maybe inconvenient or unreasonable
0: yeah I hear that a lot like and I experience that as well as as a highly sensitive person um, you just for me anyway I feel things so deeply and it in growing I also grew up in the church and so there is sort of this message of like emotions are to be managed <laughs> and we kind of push them aside or we don't experience them fully or at least not the difficult ones um and yeah it's it's hard to then allow space for those emotions later um, so I definitely resonate with that for sure
1: yeah I I hear that I and I hear that from a lot of people. It's it's really interesting. the The cohort I'm in um, for people in this this really amazing program are just a lot of people that have had that experience and are really mm-hmm. like it's like there's this huge reckoning of wait a second, my body's like this expressive instrument, and yeah. in order to hear other people's instruments, we have to like retune ours.
0: Oh, I love, I love that. I've never heard that before. I
1: I love, I love it. And also I, you know, I get angry and sad and all of the things with people as we continue to share um, more with each other, just about kind of what we've, what we're even piecing together now. There's so much that you don't clock when it's happening. Um, But yeah, the the church messaging is interesting. I I often think of myself as a double agent (laughs) working from the inside. Yeah, 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 yeah. but I think for me, I was, I was explaining to somebody the other day, like, even if somebody asked, what's your religion, I don't always know what I would say. Cause I don't really know what they're asking me. Um, yeah. but mm. like, I, Jesus is really cool. And my, my understanding of that probably is like completely framed in this, like, completely other direction than what a lot of people would think when I say that. So even just dealing with, okay, this is the understanding I've come to, but I still have to break through these perceptions, or maybe I don't, um, but I have to be okay with it. And I have to figure out Mm. a way to still be heard and listen to other people when there's a lot Mm. of tension.
0: Yeah. That in-between space is so hard um, where you're holding... You're holding both spaces, and I like, yeah, that idea of being a double agent. It is. It's. It's. Um. Sometimes it's hard because the spaces can be so black and white, and so to try to live in a more gray area is not always welcome. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What What was that like for you with with the um with animal communication and some of the more intuitive parts of your being, bringing that in, um. your upbringing or talking about that with your community was that difficult was it comfortable yeah
1: I um to be completely honest I haven't talked about it with everybody yet I yeah and it's it's something that I think about a lot and I've talked with I have a really incredible mentor that I've I've talked about this with two of um coming out as gay in my um Mid-20s was was a really hard, but really liberating and luckily very well-received mm. experience in all of my communities. Um, yeah. And even though I was having a complicated, you know, time going through that, it was, it was something that I inherently knew and felt was still safe for me to do because I had that privilege. Yeah. It was definitely mm. very much afforded to me. Um, and this feels almost harder to come out about sometimes. Um, And I bravery looks different, I think, in different communities. Um, But Mm. this intuitive world is so vast and completely unregulated.
0: Mm. And
1: that it's kind of built on perceptions. Well, it's not built on, but it interacts with perceptions of doubt. And I think it brings up this mirror of doubt in everybody. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, what if I am wrong? What if what I feel isn't correct? What if the information isn't spot on? What if Mm
0: -hmm.
1: everything is just in our imaginations and nothing is real? It gets existential very quickly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So
1: I've made a promise to myself that as I continue to, to flex all of my intuitive muscles, um and sit with people and animals and the earth um in crisis that my integrity lies with those like the sovereignty of creation mm. um which it, which completely involves myself um like i am i am sovereign also in that and that i don't have to prove that to anybody Wow. Um, yeah. But I have to believe that in a way that brings me peace and interact with that for myself to keep sane and grounded. I have to be in a place of peace. So if I feel like my peace is being disrupted or it's trying to be broken or or manipulated in any way, then that's not a place that I need to be interacting or sharing that part of myself
0: with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very much trying to create those protective Spaces for yourself. Is there? What are some of the things that you feel like are helpful in 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 grounding or reorienting yourself when those things are coming up?
1: Mm. Um, you know, I don't read as much for pleasure as I would like to. I think that's kind of like a plague of being a graduate student. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I do. Um, there are several podcasts that have become like. I don't know if you, if you have any friends who you can walk into their apartment or home and you can like th- throw your things on the ground and like lay on the floor and be like, ah, yes, here I am. Oh, yes. I, yeah. I feel that way about several podcasts. Um, but I'm sure you've listened to, um, we can do hard things and, you know,
0: other yes. ones. So yeah.
1: I have those, those people that feel like the best friends. Um, and I, I mean when i when i really feel like i'm my peace is being threatened or i'm not even i'm not creating enough time for my own peace it's a pretty huge clue that i'm not mm-hmm. outside enough mm. i i people talk about being outside and self-care all the time and I, I love that that's a normal thing that people talk about um i, I think it's similar to Medicare where that could also mean a lot of different things. And, um, sometimes I just need to, if I don't feel like I want to, I need to go on like a really long walk with my dog. Oh
0: yeah. And
1: that's what being outside needs to be. And I don't have to like stand by every tree in awe of it if I don't feel like that's what I need to do in that moment. And then there are other days Mm -hmm. where I need to go put my feet in sand or water. Um, and, And, like, watch every single thing that's happening around me. Um, But, yeah, there's a lot of different, like, elemental ways that are helpful for me reforming or reasserting my own peace and grounding that also sometimes my body is resisting. Um, Mm. So that's also a good clue. Like, why am I resisting something I know is good for me and that I need? Mm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Become a teenager fighting with myself. It's great.
0: Yeah, that's so. Yeah, how do you make sense of that? Um, that just recently came up with myself as well. Lately, I was like, why? Like, I so I really love painting, I love watercolor, mm-hmm. but there are these times where I'm like, I know that if I did this, I would feel more connected and grounded to myself, and yet I am doing everything else possible to avoid doing it. <laughs>
1: I I do wonder how much um, burnout does relate to that. Mm. Mm. Um, but also in a world right now, especially, but I'm sure always, where burnout is just the natural conclusion of how our lives are structured and expected. Mm. If that's the place we're operating from it, yeah, that brings up a whole lot of other questions. I had a, a couple days in a row where I just like really didn't want to drink water and I was really thirsty. Finally, I was like, you know what, this is ridiculous. Why am I literally telling myself, oh, I really don't want to drink water. I really need to drink water. This is so silly. But I, my body was just so not, not on the same page. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's, yeah, it's connected, I'm sure, to a lot of things, but it does seem kind of silly when you, if you were to write it out on paper, what you were saying
0: yeah do you do you find that some of your more um i mean i mean right now you're your' sounds like you're stretched in so many different places between school and work and um do you find that uh any of those are particularly draining and are there any of them that you find to be particularly fulfilling or do they have elements of both kind of woven woven throughout mm,
1: i d- definitely both i I've been, I realized this recently, I've been on a standard like public education school schedule every year of my life. (laughs) Like it's never stopped because out of my undergrad, I was a um, choir teacher. My first degree was music education. So I was a choir teacher for several years. And then I went right into this career change into grad school. So I've whether I've been a student or a teacher, I've always operated on this public education academic calendar. Wow. And I finally realized this year I hate it. I I don't like it. It's like not good at all. Um, And I I saw it. I saw it in the child, the students experience. I was a middle school teacher. So I, you know, they were like telling me everything that has ever happened, ever. And I I saw how it was impacting them, not just the daily schedule, but the calendar year. It was confusing. It didn't make sense with their body and their brain chemistry. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But I didn't consider what it was doing for the teachers Mm. um, in the same kind of way. Uh, And then Mm. now being back in graduate school, I, yeah, I realized like, oh, yeah, I just don't, I don't like this. I don't, this isn't good for my body. It's not good for my spirit. I, I need to be here and this is the right program and I'm doing what I need to do, but I'm really excited for when I don't have to be doing this exact thing. Um, Yeah. So I think a lot of the draining is more from the systems I have to operate in to get what I feel I need. Yeah. 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 Um, The animal communication sessions, um, I've had waves of them where... It's a lot of animals that have died. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think a lot of people will say animals in spirit and I say that too. I'm trying to use the words death and dying a little bit more clearly so that they're not avoided. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I those those waves, it feels so special and so sacred, and it's really it's just really hard.
0: Yeah mm-hmm. yeah. Those are both such interesting spaces. Like, I'm I'm so curious about, you know, the space that you're talking about, where there's sort of this systemic way of being, which I'm sure shows up in your life in lots of ways, in lots of layers, and then also like, the true, um, the true weight of some of the work that you're doing. Uh, do they feel different in in um, in the ways that they? Uh, affect you those two different pieces
1: they're starting to feel less different I I feel like two years ago they they did um Mm -hmm. and even a little bit more into my current program they still felt more separate but I I think that's why I've felt such a homecoming with doing the animal work with people um is that it for me it felt like a a link mm. that it's not like this that huge parts of me were missing maybe they were like mislabeled or like disheveled or something wasn't quite organized in mm. a helpful way but it does yes. feel like a link to also people's spirit um, yeah. and heart and as I work now more with Human humans sounds odd. Um, yeah. as I work distinctly with humans in a clinical space,
0: yeah, it's,
1: that's starting to feel a lot more similar. Um, and it's also a great reminder. Um, I don't know if you did any, um, like hospital work in terms of almost no. like chaplaincy. I, I did a, a, um, an externship basically where I was just like sitting with people and my, my only job was to listen. I did not really give any feedback whatsoever. Yeah. That's um, so ingrained in me now from the work with animals where my only job as I've, as I see fit is to advocate for the animal and interpret to the best of my ability. Um, Not necessarily to make it make sense to the person Mm. or to make it fit their narrative of what they, they want or whatever it is. Um, and usually, that's exactly what they want by the end of the session. Um, so that's yeah, great. Yeah. I love I love when everyone leaves feeling affirmed, but that isn't guaranteed, right? Like yeah, it's just yeah. it can't be. And I think about it now as basically doing internal family systems therapy.
0: Oh, I love that. <laughs> that's, that's one of my modalities I use the most
1: often. Oh, amazing. Great. Um, Yeah, it's very powerful. And so, uh, and it, it, it's huge, huge shifts can happen so quickly.
0: So quickly. Um,
1: So with, with the animals as, you know, like we're inviting, we're inviting the wild into our home, Mm. whether or not we realize that's like the contract we're creating. Um, Mm. And like a great example is when things are going great and then like your cat starts peeing outside of the litter box or, right. You know, just something wild. It's like, Oh, we're about to have people over and my dog pooped everywhere. And I have to do that now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, But a lot of, I just think those are such like, they're funny when they're not happening to you in the moment, of course, but they're great reminders of, I don't, I don't own you and I don't control you. Mm. I, I can't. Mm-hmm. And how, how dare I think that I could um because it's not it's not my agency to own um or to wield and uh I I, that's also I'm I'm imagining I don't have human children but um they might share your DNA or maybe I'm, I'm adopted so maybe you adopted them or a fostering system whatever it is but they're still operating under their their own agency too even if they don't know all the rules. So, um, I, I am finding everything kind of to be coming together much more. Um, I don't know if I want to use the word easy, but there's a lot of grace in that kind of joining of everything. And it's also very helpful to be able to operate like kind of in between those spaces and not feel like I'm, I'm being pulled in opposite directions.
0: Yeah, like one of the things I'm hearing a lot from you is is it sounds like you've done a lot of work to be able to stay grounded in yourself and in your own authentic understanding of who you are and your gifts and your spirituality.
1: I'm glad you hear that. <laughs> I it's something I think about a lot and I I have, you know, waves of feeling really insecure about. Um And I, yeah, I, I just got done teaching my first round of like an intro to animal communication. Um, Just to, a, oh, it was amazing. Just to a few, a few women who signed up who were incredible. Um, I'm so glad it was the size it was and the people who were there were there. And it was such a interesting, like full circle moment. Um, I miss teaching. I miss students. I miss facilitating aha moments yeah, And just watching magic happen for people who mm-hmm. are learning to trust themselves. And yeah. um, it's always a reminder that I get to keep doing that for myself and that that work doesn't ever stop and that I shouldn't ever feel comfortable with it stopping. Yeah. Um, yeah. But a lot of times I will, and I won't tell every client this, but I'll leave a session and I'll jot down some notes of totally. like, here's what this animal also directly told me and taught me. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Because I do not have it figured out. Um, And it's a, it's good. I just, it's continuous. It's like professional development, but it's less expensive. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, even as a therapist, like I feel like I and, and really, you should be. But I feel like I'm just continuously learning from clients. And sometimes I'll tell clients, I'll be like, I have learned so much just from the therapeutic relationship and from watching you grow and shift and change and ask questions. And I think that's just the beauty of of healing work in, in general or transform um, transformational work in general is that it's always a partnership. Mm-hmm. Like there's always something happening in that space. Um, And I know as therapists, we don't always vocalize it, but I am always consciously aware of how I'm growing and shifting. And even over the years with clients that I've had for a really long time, I'm like, wow, like the therapist that was meeting with you five years ago is not the same therapist that is meeting with you today. Mm -hmm. But you are also not the same client I met with five years ago. Um, And it's just like, it's so such a privilege to be a part of that process. And I think something that sometimes people misinterpret about therapy or, or being a therapeutic professional is that there's this sort of like one sided, like, I'm here to teach you and you are here to learn. And I'm like, Nope, (laughs) we're learning this together.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I, 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 there's, I think we've collectively had, um, we've gone through the growing pains together of, well, we tried this out alone and it didn't work great. Um, Yeah. And then we try this by just trying to listen to everybody else and go along with, with the community that we're in. And that didn't go great. Um, Mm. So where are some, where are some solutions or ways of existing where we get to trust ourselves and also trust people and know that we're not alone Mm. while not relying on that validation to keep making the next best decision for ourselves yeah, and I think that's really challenging. That's something I think about the relationship between being an individual and, and existing in other and ecosystems and yeah. um, families and just other just community in general. There's just inherently mm. like fuzziness and confusion. I think in our in our culture of like what do we what do we do with that, especially when we exist in capitalistic America that doesn't really support like holistic community care, Mm. um, let alone that with, with animals and other species, um, it's like really, Mm. really challenging.
0: Yeah. Or like when the systems maybe don't, are not, are not continuing to support like an individual's, um, you know, changing value systems. Like I, 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 I know you do work in this space too. I work with a lot of people who are trying to reconstruct mm-hmm. or um, reorganize their relationship to their faith of origin and like what does it look like to honor the parts that are still like really important and shaped who th- they are but then what are also the pieces that they're trying to maybe move away from or re-identify and it, that's what I always – I always see and experience like there is so much fuzziness <laughs> Be- because it is such, it's such a complex um, and tender, like a very tender, tender space. And I'm, yeah, I'm curious because I know you, you've, you I saw that you had done um, a bit of a workshop around uh, religion and reconstructing and um, I was curious about that.
1: Yeah, actually that was, um, that was born out of that um, externship I was doing. I was sitting with I was working through United Methodist Church, um, and I was sitting uh, primarily with people in a kind of a transitional program housed in this church. Um, mm. A lot of them were were just out of jail or um, through rehab, um, all in recovery. So they were kind of steeped in the 12-step program evangelical world, mm. um, housed by a great church that you know, did not force them to attend anything. They were, they were literally just housing them, yeah. um, which was great. So I was mostly talking with men, um, some women as well. And through just like listening to these incredible stellar human beings um, yeah. share their stories of acquired resilience that um, shouldn't be required. Um, mm. Cause I, the word resilience is like really, really yeah. hard for me.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I just kept, I was pulling out these, these really deeply embedded themes. Um, Mm -hmm. and I I think when we hear things in the TikTok realm or on social media in general, like deconstruction, it's like so loaded now.
0: Sure. Yeah. And that's
1: even hard if people are like, okay, I'm having a crisis of faith, but I don't know what it means. So I'm going to like look to these people and try to find community. Yeah, and I yeah. think that's great. And I think it's also really confusing. Yes. Um, yeah. And that's also hard. So, with somebody, as somebody who has so many resources and so many very strong women in particular um, who are pastors or bishops or um, have their hands in the systems to rip it up from the roots and like totally reform it, um, mm-hmm. I felt really, 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 really pushed to start doing some more work with that. So I I actually did it in that community in person, um, over several weeks and, um, at a gender resource center. And we had like these beautiful, like we had, you know, queer pastors, we had trans youth, we had like everybody there, um, people of color, Um, it was just really amazing, and we got to to speak with one another about where we were at. And from there, then I did an online um, kind of mini version of that. And one mm. of the um, from the feedback I got, one of the more transformative activities was reframing language, which I'm sure you help your people do mm-hmm. um, mm. in in your work, where. I had created a couple slides where I showed here's this sentence using some of the most triggering language from, Mm. I wish I had them pulled up, but um, using words like witness and sanctify Mm. and sin Mm. and temptation and demons. Um, And then I'm going to rewrite this, how I would maybe describe a very similar experience if I were to have had it. Um, through the lens I have as a very spiritual human being who deeply appreciates my religious experiences and now feels much more able to move forward and make a lot of intentional choices for myself in those spaces that often don't include Mm. being in those spaces. Mm. Um, So we all got to do that, and um, I offered some prompts to continue to practice that, and I keep doing that for myself while I'm writing these mm-hmm. theological papers that make my brain hurt. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think just those, getting to hear other people um, with very different traumatic experiences surrounding yeah. or like in the depths of religion, um, getting yeah. to hear them reframe that with with one another. I think in person, I, I wish everything could be in person, but that's not how we live anymore. I think yeah. that's a gift that yeah. we all Again, if we can be in community in meaningful ways, we get to give that to each other all the time.
0: Mm. Yeah. That's so incredible. Yeah, that that space, you mentioned it earlier, but you were talking about the space of like being authentically rooted in yourself while also being a member of community and how that can be at times very difficult to find. But it sounds like within that space, you were able – Like, again, you held both. Like, you were like, okay, like, how can we make space for this part of yourself, you know, especially if we're going back to the internal family systems, like, Mm. which part? And, like, how do we make space for this part while also um, hearing from this part and allowing everybody to be together in the same room in a loving and respectful um, and honoring way? Mm
1: -hmm. Can I talk about my mom for a moment? Yeah, yeah. I love this lady. Um, She is one of the strongest people I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. Um, And as I'd mentioned earlier, I'm adopted and um, Mm -hmm. I get to have, like, these really beautiful relationships with with both adoptive and biological families. Mm -hmm. Um, And my – so my adoptive mother, she has stood so firmly – um, and so flexibly in wow. this role of pastor and mother and like counselor and like dancer. She's so many things. So yeah, I, when I start feeling really, really frustrated with the like heady church stuff.
0: Sure. Um,
1: and I, I was a church music director and sometimes organist, for like 12 years. And so I was in these churches. I didn't have a Sunday off for like my entire life until the last year for the most part. Um, And that was by choice. That was something like I chose for a long time for myself. So when when I got and when I continue to get really frustrated, I think about, first of all, like younger Hannah, as I keep revisiting mm. her in different phases of her self-understanding, but also how I get to keep revisiting my relationship with my mom and how my perception of my mother as pastor, because mm. um, that gets to keep changing too, just like my understanding of self does. Mm. And as I continue to reflect and see the, the depths of the politics and all of that, that I was lovingly shielded from growing up, um, mm. there is... There's always been this just like community of, from my experience, women, I'm sure there've been men and and non-binary people in there as well, who were just always showing up really freaking well, like really, really well, putting people in positions of power that deserved to be, that wanted to be, that could do the job regardless of their Mm -hmm. sexual orientation, their race, their gender. Um, people who were just always like adjusting their integrity to the information they had. Wow. And that, so that's like not new and everything feels like new and moving so fast now. And I get to keep looking back and, and like looking at it and pointing at it. Like, there it is. Like it was right there. Um, wow. it was already happening. It was already like bubbling up. Um, yeah. So that kind of just like we're we're sitting with generational trauma and things that have been passed down i also get to look back at that that was happening and i'm so happy i'm so stoked that that's something i get to continue in my own way with my gifts too
0: yeah yeah that's like such an incredible um gift to be able to look back with new with new eyes in a way Mm -hmm. um is that something that was was hard like harder for you to see at different points
1: Yeah. I, I think, um, I, I always had a deep appreciation for my parents and the United Methodist tradition, um, while also, you know, gaining healthy suspicion as I grew. Um, yeah, but, uh, and that was also really encouraged in my home, like asking questions regarding faith was very encouraged. So that was, Mm -hmm. that was not a particular block for me, but I think that I just think the world's got s- so much, um, I lovingly call it mama trauma. Um, <laughs> and I also think looking at also how like mother earth is, is holding her own right now. Um, yeah. I'm like, well, we don't treat her very well. Like, of course we have like all this, like all these mother wounds, um, that are like yeah. connected to more than I think we know. But, Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think there had to have been times where it was really hard because it's just so easy to to look at certain family members or church members or whatever and be like, ah, there was the problem. And it was always more complicated than that. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I always had such a nice relationship with my family that um, I think afforded me curiosity. So I, I wasn't um, turned off from Asking questions yeah. or exploring, but um, I do think it's hard as a kid growing up in a church, and I placed a lot of expectations on myself to show up a very specific sure. way in that position. Yeah. Um, yeah, To to really ask questions, you know. <laughs> yeah. that was something I blocked myself from.
0: I feel like the first time that I experienced that was actually um, I took a uh, a spirituality and social work program. Hmm up here in New York at NYU. And I kind of went into it. I don't know what I was expecting. I think I was expecting it to be very academically oriented, which it it was. Um, But it was like so beautiful because there's probably 12 of us in the class and every single person was coming from a different religious orientation or spiritual practice who had different Um, wounds and also different gifts from those spiritual and religious practices. And it was the first time that I ever – I sat in a room where there was such – Care and mindfulness yeah. um, that was presented, regardless of of everybody's background, yeah. right? Like there was no nobody was trying to convert anyone, mm-hmm. and yeah. but also people were like really curious about one another's experiences and and were really seeking understanding. Um, and it was like such a be- it like really reminds me of what you're saying. Like it was such a beautiful experience of being being able to be rooted and grounded in myself while also like in the context of community. And those spaces are so, they're just so rare to find. Mm.
1: Yeah. I wish I could bottle that up and like put that everywhere.
0: Yeah. Well, it sounds like you are. <laughs> oh, I'm trying really hard, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> You're creating those spaces. It's just like so cool and exciting. And like, it, it makes me just really hopeful. Um, to hear that that someone else is like really doing that sacred work Mm -hmm. Um, because especially in New York I feel like things can get really polarized Mm -hmm. like I find that people are really like very heavily um, cut off in their religious communities Mm -hmm. um, or they're like completely out of them and and so trying to find that space where people can Can be allowed to process and to figure out. It can be hard to find sometimes. Mm,
1: Absolutely, I think. I mean, even just making friends as an adult is is like really hard. Like, how are we supposed to find like a whole group of them? Like, (laughs) it's hard. It's so hard. Yeah, it's really hard. I. You had said something earlier, and I can't remember what it was, but as you were talking about sitting with your your clients and and supporting them in the deconstructing and reconstructing phases, that I think they mm-hmm. kind of keep coming, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. They're totally like – it's waves, and it comes in different ways, and, um, and of course, it's different for every person.
1: Mm-hmm. One thing I've been – thinking about more, and I I haven't plunged into this, well, I have naturally, but I I think I need to spend more intentional time thinking and writing, um, is how equally important it is to deconstruct your spirituality and those understandings as well. Um, Mm. Because, I mean, I've come to understand my own spirituality as just what it means for me to be a human is the same thing as what it means right. to be spiritual. I, I don't find those to be separate from each other whatsoever. Yeah. But um, there are some sneaky belief systems and a lot of um, spiritual practices that are just like a different way of naming mm-hmm. or categorizing emotional and spiritual bypassing mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that, you know, those aren't new. Um And they're really similar to some some religious um, belief systems as well that people want to, you know, keep those in separate buckets. I think those are all, they're similar buckets happening.
0: Yeah, Um, they totally are. Yeah.
1: I just wanted to, I feel like I haven't actually said that out loud as much as maybe I needed to, but I think that's for all of us um, understanding our relationship to God or source or the universe or love. Um, how does that show up to meet everybody and to support everybody and to liberate everybody? Um, Mm -hmm. or does it encourage being comfortable?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, it's an interesting thing to think about because there, again, there are so many layers to it. So even like sometimes clients, when I see clients who are heavily, um, like, resistant to their religion of origin, which is, like, it's a very important part of the developmental process, mm-hmm. right? Um, but then sometimes they can get so stuck there uh, without without realizing that that's what's keeping them stuck. And, and in the other hand, like, I'll get clients sometimes who are hyper-spiritual <laughs> and who maybe have come into this, you know, this new space that kind of has some of the, the same trappings mm-hmm. as what they were coming out of without, without, without quite realizing it. And so I just try to be mindful of that in session and, um, and even within myself too. Right. Cause I was raised, you know, super religious. I was raised um, in the Christian church. And there are definitely some beautiful ways that that shaped me. And mm-hmm. then there are also some really harmful ways that that shaped me. And how does that even, inform my work as a therapist like as a helper right um because i don't know for you but for us like helping was was like so deeply (laughs) like pushed into our being whether it was through like missions trips or um you know volunteering in church or in children's ministries and so for me like a big part of my own work in therapy and in my spiritual process was like untangling who is sarah from like, who is Sarah the helper? <laughs> hmm. And then when I was able to do that, then I could actually like support. You know, I'm really like using Lord Help, but I could support from like an actual authentic space rather than this like I'm supposed to be doing this. But like Hannah, it still comes up. Like there are still clients sometimes where I get stuck. Right where mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, like did I do the right thing? And like. You know, some of that old shame that's Mm -hmm. definitely rooted in religious trauma will, like, totally trip me up. Like, I didn't help enough or, like, you know, maybe – or even sometimes with boundaries, like, oh, maybe I should have just, you know, rearranged my whole schedule to fit the – you know, like, all these very complicated ways, Mm -hmm. you know, will still come up for me. And I just have to be really gentle and just noticing them Mm -hmm. yeah, (laughs) and, like, gentle with the
1: process. Absolutely. I – it was, as you were talking, I was I was going to make a joke, but i didn't want to un- interrupt you. Of like, you you don't, in fact, Sarah, have to be the hands and feet of Jesus at all times, right? But that is such a like that visualization that was brought up so much in my upbringing, um, just even yeah. by like praise worship songs with horrible atonement yes. theory and theology. Um, but yeah, we are we don't exist. We don't exist to heal others. Um, yeah. We don't exist only to heal ourselves either. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that that shame piece you mentioned, we could talk for hours about how right. shame presents. Yeah. But I do want to <laughs> briefly mention that animals domesticated or wild, I think, are like the the best teachers of like, here's how to unlearn some of your shame programs, mm.
0: um,
1: because we we automatically assume. Well, a lot of us do um, when we see an animal do a behavior that is undesirable or that seems a little flippant that they they just don't care and they do whatever they want and blah, 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 blah. And I now see, I see certain like postures and gestures and choices that animals make is like, ah, that's what it looks like to make choices without worrying about what everybody else thinks. Mm. Um, that's what it looks like to decide to just rest in the most inconvenient spot on the floor without any yeah. shame because your body really wanted to rest. So you just like did it. Yeah, Um, And I don't let myself do that, Um, but it doesn't mean I can't. And I I think that that shame piece is so – you can find it in very playful ways, but um, I also love looking to um, really big cat species and um, a lot of the larger sea mammals Mm. um, Mm. for how they interact with their really large, powerful bodies and also very peaceful ways that are still totally – like firmly planted in their autonomy wow um so if anybody wants a a meditation inspiration you can hang out with some lions or whales or whatever you need to do but they're they're like the best teachers with that
0: I feel like that reminds me of what you said about your mom like being both firm and flexible
1: oh what I'm writing that down is my
0: mom a lion did i just did you just make me realize that maybe i don't know that's what it reminded me of because there is there's like this like what you're talking about sounds like a very like yeah there's like this sense of like i am a lion right Mm -hmm. but like lions are also very soft and playful and um they're like again going back to the internal family systems of parts they're they're able to stay rooted in both parts without ostracizing like one or the other Mm -hmm. I love that. That's such a – I know, I, I love um, – I feel like so much of the natural world in general has so much to teach us that we're out of touch with.
1: Yeah. Once we stop pretending that we're not a part of nature,
0: I think a lot of things will become a lot easier for us. <laughs> totally. <Yeah. laughs> I
1: hope we get there. Totally.
0: I know. Uh, Hannah, this is like this is so wonderful. I did want to ask you one more question because mm-hmm. I think I would love to know, and also I think it'd be helpful for anybody who listens. What are some resources that you've found to be really helpful? And I'll try to also get collect some from you, maybe via email. But off the top of your head, have there been any books um, or resources that have been really helpful for you in your own um, process of like understanding yourself and your intuition and your spirituality? And yeah, I do. All these I
1: have a pretty um, decent sized list that I am happy to send you because I'm not always the best at remembering things on the oh, spot. That's fine. That
0: would be great. But yeah.
1: I, I really recommend something that I'm right now doing a lot of um, sitting with is the NAP Ministry from Trisha Hersey.
0: Um, yes,
1: my sister
0: just sent me. That's so funny. She literally just sent it to me like yesterday. Amazing.
1: I'd been following her for a little bit and then finally she was popping up on some podcasts. And I was like, ah, yes, this is a good reminder. I just need to nap more, apparently. Um, yeah. And uh, there are a few um, theologians that have been really helpful. I I love the mystics as well. Um, Teresa Avila. Yeah. I mean, there's like a, there's a lot in there. Um, Howard Thurman, um, James Cone. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, I think I'm pronouncing her name right, Suchaki. She's a process theologian, um, and process theology is um, mixed with some liberation theology are the kind of my, what I'm formulating more cohesively, um, like in my Mm -hmm. writing, um, to Mm -hmm. basically form my image of God and also um, how I interact with with the divine around me. So understanding yeah. how everything's connected, how we still have responsibility, um, mm. and accountability to ourselves. And that, that means that we are, um, we are called to to act in accordance with our integrity and, um, the people that we meet and how we, how we advocate for all systems. And for me, yeah. that's firmly rooted in my work with animals and the earth. Um, but that shows up in a lot of different different advocacy work as well. Um, but I would be happy to send you my list also for anybody who's listening or if you come across anybody yeah. in need of resources um, about queer theology and queer Christ. Um, yeah. I, I have such a, a huge um, heart for uh, the queer community deconstructing as well. So I'd love to pass those along to you
0: yes that would be absolutely amazing i love like i love that everything you're talking about is again i feel like this has been the theme of the whole conversation but it's like firmly rooted and also very flexible Mm -hmm. right like there these things that you are talking about are just so much part of the human experience and yet also like there are some really wonderful ways that you're adding like structure and like tangible understanding to them which is really really helpful
1: mm-hmm. they, i feel like i got a free mini therapy session too this was so nice
0: <laughs> i i'm so like i literally could talk to you for hours and i i actually have so many more questions for you that i'm sure i'll ask you you know after this or or through you know over a period of time mm-hmm. but i'm just so thankful that you were here today and i really like wow i learned so much from you and you're doing such amazing work i'm i'm really excited for you as you're continuing to move forward with all of your gifts and finding ways, you know, to, to make space for yourself in the world. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. That means a lot. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, thanks so much, Hannah. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Open Hands is produced, hosted, and edited by Sarah Nickerson. Theme music is by Sleeping at Last. You can find Open Hands on Instagram at Open Hands Podcast. Thanks so much for listening and be well.